When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dungeons and Demogorgons, the officially unofficial podcast for Stranger Things on Netflix. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back. It's been two weeks. About two weeks, yeah. Since we finished watching and podcasting the whole second season, we're back to do a wrap-up. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with more stuff to say about it because I felt like we did a pretty good job covering it. Yeah, we talked for um, hours and hours about the... the and, and, honestly, and especially in that last episode, we did a lot of sort of wrap-up type stuff. And and in compiling the feedback that we received during the then our then our run, I felt like a lot of the feedback is jumping points for talking points. Yeah, I think that's what for it's things be. that we can point at. <laughs> point. Uh, what's your point? I don't know. <laughs> um, one thing I want to say up front is like I got a lot of feedback about my parenting quandary about like you know how do you get a kid to like willingly give up their toys when mm-hmm. they've got sentimental attachments, and I got. A lot that was assist, essentially was like the theme of anytime you have like a big birthday or a holiday, like a, especially Christmas, you know, Christmas is about giving to others is like, you know, you got to make room for new toys. And also, you know, there's there's little boys and girls that could use toys at times like this. Hmm. And I was able to successfully employ that to get my kid to give up quite a lot of stuff without much, uh, much, much fuss and, and, and fanfare. So. I was going to say, just wrap up the old toys and put them under the tree. There you go. And <laughs> Regift. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. All these toys, you can discover them again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was, uh, that, that was some, some solid advice. So thanks for that. Um, are you, do you, do you have anything that you want to say or do you want to get right to the feedback? No, I mean, I, I've been, I've been thinking about the season a little bit as as the recap or the wrap up has been approaching, and I don't feel any differently really. I think it's I'm sticking with my initial assessment, which is it's really really good. And I've read a couple of reviews that I don't know. I think it was maybe the New York Times. The one of the mm-hmm. reviewers didn't care for season two. Um, I was but su- none of them were very convincing to me. I was surprised by how many people didn't love it i think it's i think it's backlash for how much people loved it it might be it might be because we i'm i fully cop to potentially being more into tank for this show than i should be okay does that make sense Mm -hmm. like like it's um i mean we got lots of feedback from people that says like you don't have to necessarily be a child of the 80s to enjoy it that it's like you know that makes sense because it's like any other period piece but like Mm -hmm. um you know it is made for people that grew up in 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 the 80s um not maybe not especially but it definitely hits you on a level that maybe you don't fully appreciate if you're not if you didn't grow up there and so like i i mean you know we got the baldies coming up in january and you know this year's not over and we're still like mr robots making some noise right now but right now if someone put a gun to my head i'd probably do leftovers and then uh stranger things and um 
Stranger Things and, and the Deuce in some order. And I, that's the thing that I'm really grappling with. Spoiler alert. Yeah. My top three may or may not be exactly what you think it is. Uh, that's the other thing is I also have to go through <laughs> everything we've watched to make sure that I haven't forgotten anything. But it's like, yeah. man, Stranger Things is just really, really good for mm-hmm. me personally. Um, all right. Let's move on to the feedback. Uh, Dan from Yardley, Pennsylvania. I like your various speculations so far. He was talking about this as as we were doing the recap. Uh, mm-hmm. Not because it's accurate, because a lot of it isn't. See, sure. your will possess storyline uh, spec and others yet to be realized, but because it's exactly the kind of speculation one should expect from someone who knows the craft of the genre being critiqued, yet it gets all turned upside down. See what I did there? By the Duffer Brothers, while they weave this horror story through the cast of Freaks and Geeks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were, con- you know, that was one thing listening to the coverage you get is that we were constantly like on the lookout for the conventional twists. And sometimes they gave it to us like the cute, the cute little alien creature, but then they subvert it by making it into a horrifying monster. Yeah. And then they subvert it again by making it maybe responsive to Dustin in the end. Mm-hmm. But no, the Duffer Brothers, Duffer Brothers are great. Lots of faith, all time high. Catherine from London. What's up with water and demigorgons? When Bob, rest in peace, figured was figuring out the map Will drew, he mentioned offhand that the root tunnel system doesn't cross any waterways, and then the demo dogs are repelled by sprinklers at Hawkins Lab. I think there's at least mm. one more instance of demigorgons being hydrophobic. Considering the season ends when the, t- the shadow monster crouched over Hawkins, it seems like the threat has been contained but not defeated by Eleven closing the gate, so could water be the key to defeating the Upside Down in Season 3? Man, I feel like they picked the wrong planet. If water is there, yeah, two thirds of it covered. <laughs> um, so let's say there's a lot of viable reasons not to dig a tunnel underneath a body of water. Okay, like just practicality, mm-hmm. not wanting it flooded and 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 being accessible. Um, also, I don't think I got the idea that demogorgons were being repelled by the sprinklers so much as the noise and commotion was drawing it to them. Hmm. So, like, I don't know that the evidence of them being repelled by water is is incredibly strong. I don't. I don't think it's incredibly strong. I do think it seems circumstantial. like circumstantially yeah. relevant. Yes. Like, when the demogorgons are talked about, sometimes they're talked about in the context of water, um, noticeably. So, what that has to do with them, I'm not quite sure. It yeah. might not be that they're repelled by it. It might be. I, mean, I don't know if they're going to go full the attractive on things. signs where that's literally their weakness. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that it would necessarily disappoint me. Um, yeah. It's just all how they, they how they handle it. And, and and the Duffers probably are aware. I mean, they've seen signs. <laughs> uh, they're aware of the pitfalls of, of leaning too far into that kind of stuff. So Sure. That's the thing. Like, they're just so fucking pop culture smart. Mm-hmm. Like, if one of them pitches an idea that would work but is kind of lame, I bet the other is like, yeah, that works, but it's kind of lame. Yeah. we do better which is why so far so good on the uh, stranger things chris from arvada colorado uh i'm still waiting for hopper to throw a pitch perfect drunk harrison ford punch <laughs> i love all the references to indiana jones the hat in episode five the jonathan and nancy talking to themselves in separate rooms a la temple of doom what are your favorite references of the series now i know that you were kind of cataloging these yeah, there's a thread in the forums um, called the the big list of Stranger Things references. I think right. Um, if you go there, you can see a whole bunch of them. And people people are pointing out one that we totally missed, which we were talking about Rob Lowe in terms, or not Rob Lowe, uh, Billy in terms of like uh, 
Iron Man. What's his name? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Right. And apparently he's supposed to be like, he looks exactly like Rob Lowe no, in I, some 80s movie that I don't think I've ever seen. When I came out, uh, when I came out of the watch and started reading like, yeah, and to the, to the, uh, to the, down to the pet. Fact, fact that his name is Billy. I think I have feedback to that extent. Yeah, but yeah. It's it's like he's dead on. <laughs> right. Rob Lowe. I feel like that's one of the most obvious references they make. Uh, despite not really liking where the episode was placed, or I guess how it was handled, um, a lot of the Star Wars stuff in season or episode seven mm-hmm. really did it for me. Like this this Yoda sort of Darth Vader mm-hmm. Emperor combination. Mm-hmm. I really liked in Callie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of little stuff in there. One thing I got from the strange. What was the after Stranger Things show? Uh, Beyond Beyond Stranger, Stranger Things, Things, I think. Um, which is the unlocks on Netflix once you complete the season, which I thought was a pretty cool touch. Um, they point out that the boys fighting over who saves the princess dustin and lucas Mm, in dragon's lair because like you know that's kind of like there's not dragon's lair does not feature in the plot as much as the dungeons and dragons campaign did in the first season and i know that's something that we were looking for like oh is there going to be some kind of crazy sequence where they have to memorize something Uh, the duffer brothers pointed out that that was to set up the conflict over max that these like the, the struggle to save and and woo the princess was going to mirror their struggle to impress and woo max yeah which gets him um, to all sorts of trouble, right? Specifically, Dustin and, and foreshadowing Lucas saying that he's the one that got the princess first, um, mm-hmm. showing that like you know that's and I thought that's like man that's really on really right there in front of your face, but I certainly didn't pick up on it. Yeah, uh, it's somehow I, I don't know if it's like just this big cacophony of references that kind of blinds you to other ones, but it's not very subtle. Right. Was there any other that really got you? Um, or the one that stood out in your mind from the thread? Because I know that's one of the uh, things you're maybe really. thinking of for next season. Yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of them. I mean, that Indiana Jones one is is blatant right. and really good, I thought. Where's retrieving his hat? Uh, that one, yeah. And also the, the separate rooms where they're oh, deciding, right. oh, should I yeah. or shouldn't I go you know sleep with this person <laughs> yeah 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 um let's move on to peggy from huntsville alabama i've watched stranger things up through episode six and i'm hyped for the third act but it got mm. me thinking when mike and nancy's dad says didn't you hear our kids don't live here anymore <laughs> like seriously where are the parents in all this sometimes as a parent myself i felt very judgy of these 80s parents but then i remembered because i grew up in the 80s that was so easy to lie to your parents about what you were doing and where you were i have two kids now 10 and 7 i'm beginning to wonder about when the real lying will begin with them so my actual question is, because it's parent <laughs> talk now, is lying, when, it, when it will begin. Is lying when, to your parents, and it probably already has, uh-huh. is lying to your parents an important part of growing up and a kind of rite of passage? Is oh, lying sure. a sort of equivalent to testing out the waters of risk management? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just something kids are going to do because they're looking for their independence. Yeah, it's like it's you know kids start enmeshed like their identity is so bound up with their parents and vice versa that lying and rebellion rebelling is a way for them to test those boundaries and mm-hmm. to see where the limits lie like you know um and to, to experience cause and effect like when you hurt someone that you like like it all this all these things we do in families are training wheels for what they do later in life and that's that's uh, a heavy thing because like how they treat 
their coworkers and their classmates and their lovers and their friends and their business associates. These this all stems from what we teach within our 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 homes. Yeah, it's so, why it's why no we big get, no big deal. It's why we get so upset with like uh, shit. Karen Karen Wheeler is that her name? Um, oh, is that when, uh, when, Nancy's Nancy's mom? Yeah, and and uh, Mike's mom. When she, you know, seems to be oblivious to what Mike is going through, even though she has all the information she needs. Right. And she treats him like nothing's going on. She has an interesting follow-on, which is, how do you think the theme of lying honesty plays in a story? Tell me the truth, because friends don't lie. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. There is a lot of... There is a lot of them playing with the idea that adults set up rules that they themselves break all the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's good reasons for that because kids don't know the nuance of like, you know, when is it okay to lie? Like when you're dealing with people that have no right to the truth and are going to use it to hurt you, then you can you can remain silent or tell them whatever you want to. Like people asking probing questions, personal questions, inappropriate questions. How do you deal with that kind of thing? Um, oversharing private things like that's that's another thing that kids have to kind of get a handle on so it's it's like you spend all the first part of your kid's life telling them the rules of what not to do and then part of becoming an adult is winning knowing when to bend and break those rules Mm -hmm. so like i thought that was an important part of harper or not harper hopper and and jane story 11 story this year yeah and it also you know serves that kind of 80s um what's what's the word i'm looking for the like mantra of the group or the the code you know like every every group has a code yeah that they follow and this one happens to be friends don't lie right um you know it might it might as well be like you know don't don't leave the pack or mm-hmm. or whatever kind of like mantra or right. code these groups would have right in the 80s movies and that's a cool thing i mean everyone gets to decide what kind of house they want to have, what kind of, you know, like, are you going to be the house where you're, you insist the kids call you sir and ma'am? Or are you going to be the the house where the kids can call you by your first name? And that's cool. Like, and there's all in between. And that's the, the scary and awesome thing about being a parent is no one is with, with, with very few and extreme exceptions. No one's going to butt in and like tell, tell you to parent in a certain way. Mm. I think the interesting thing is going to be, and we've already kind of explored part of that, but it's going to be when those that code starts breaking down mm. um, and they have to figure out how to deal with that. Because right. friends don't lie. I mean, that's a fine code, but there are some, some nuances that it doesn't encompass, right? Sure, sure. Um, when so, should friends lie? Or when should friends not force other friends to be in a position where they have to lie? Right. So eventually, I think they're going to have to figure out a way to sort of let that code fall by the wayside, but also uh, end up in, like, a respecting group, you yeah. know? Well, let's move on to Miguel, who has discovered a dark and disturbing pattern to the show. No, no. Uh, here's who's been killed off on the show so far. Yeah. Benny, Dr. Brennan, Barb, no. Bob the Brain. Who's next? Billy. 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 It's got to be Billy. Billy is marked for death. Mm-hmm. It is. Do you, do you think there's anything to this? Uh, I mean, th- they're right. I mean, they're right when they pattern. point out that everybody killed has been has a name with a B. Do you believe that the the brothers Duff 
the brothers Duffer would do something like that. Do I believe that it's at, intentional? At, yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. Like, like they're actually trying to do some sort of foreshadowing or weird world build, you know, here. No, but I'm not sure why I don't believe that. Huh. I mean, because there's nothing about it that would be particularly hacky if they were just doing it to amuse themselves. Now, But I don't like, know if it's particularly interesting either, which is right. why I say, like, what's the point? It's like, you know, we get – I forget what show we had where there was this alphabet thing mm-hmm. where it's uh, – not the leftovers alphabet, but, like, there was, like, a sequence of people – hooking up and then dying and it's like there's a plus b equals c and then they kill d and then e and f and like wow and it's like except for l it doesn't work for l to switch over it's like oh right. i don't know I to don't what know. end i guess is my question yeah that's the thing it's like i i think those things are clever in retrospect if you can find them but like i just to predict the value like who's to say you're just kind of flipping a coin i mm-hmm. think uh, Donovan from Denver. I have a question about TV making in general that applies to this and Game of Thrones with the Duffer Brothers and the Double Ds respectively. How does writing work? The two pair create the two pairs create the show, and we talk about them creating the story and whatnot. But then there are different writers attached to each episode. How does it all work? It's a very basic question, but it's always been a curiosity of mine. Uh, do you have? I mean, I've got a pretty good answer because I listen to a lot of meta podcasts like Harmontown. What and- I think it's impossible and, and, answer and the breaking bad podcast and the the better call Saul podcast with vince gilligan yeah but I, I think each writer's room works differently um a lot of the times so the the general procedure that i've heard is essentially the writers come together and they break the season um and they break the episodes and what breaking means is yeah. they essentially just write the outlines for him and right. say here are all the ideas let's put these together in a way that makes sense okay we've done that now individual writers are going to take an episode and they're going to go actually fill in all the blanks, write the dialogue, create the scenes that get the points across that they want. Um, and then they bring that back to the show. And then I guess the writers will kind of take a look at it and say, is this what we want to do? Right. So it's like you, you come up with all these bullet points and ideas, sort of major plot points. That's one thing. Like what is going to be yeah. the arc of this season? Now we know we have the budget for, x episode so let's make x divisions and then we'll see where the holes in the story are we need to punch it up we need more cliffhangers we need more connective tissue once you get the episodes and all the beats broken down the you hand it to the individual but that's the thing like they do a lot of heavy lifting and writing but as you can see it comes back and is collaborative so often that like i've heard vince gilligan multiple times someone ask him who came up with that line he's like i honestly can't tell you yeah because we came up with three variations on that line and like we got the best part to two but then like it, it gets be really collaborative and that same thing with Harmon uh, when they the, when Dan Harmon talks about writing community or Rick and Morty it's like you know they're just brainstorming these things and like you know a lot of it probably comes from the duffers like I'm 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 assuming with their close working relationship that they have big the big ideas kind of hammered out mm-hmm. and they're the credited writers on a lot of these episodes but you know, there's a lot of grunt work, you know, writing a script and breaking it down and putting it into the outline and, you know, doing right. all the establishing shots and all that stuff. It's kind of like just the meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. So I, it's it's a lot more collaborative and less there's there's few exceptions like, you know, True Detective season one, uh, Fargo, like some of those seasons where like they were essentially written you know, soup to nuts by one person and or that, two that's people. What, that's what I mean when I say it's impossible to answer because not every production is the same. Right. 
Some have a more collaborative process. Like you look at The Leftovers, that felt very, very collaborative. Right, 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 right. Uh, you look at other shows and maybe there isn't quite as much. So Right. Every, I think every, every writing team does it different, but those are kind of the basic strokes of it. Vicky says, you guys keep referring to Max's brother, Billy, as Robert Downey Jr., but since nah, you were, yeah. yeah, this is the one where they're saying, <laughs> yeah, it's actually uh, Rob Lowe from St. Elmo's Fire, yeah. specifically. I haven't seen that. Right down to, he says, you got the hair, the hair, earring, hell, the character's name's even Billy. And he looks a lot like Rob Lowe. Oh, yeah. With the, like, guy liner, but, you know. Like, uh, even just his face. That's like, what I said. Like, this, like, he looks like he's wearing eyeliner, but he's not. He just has <laughs> right. that beautiful eyelashes. Uh-huh. Uh, Nathaniel L says, I was wondering if you guys were planning on discussing the Netflix after show for Stranger Things 2 beyond Stranger Things. I'd love to see some analysis of what the cast and crew discuss in the show, like character motivations and theories and such. Did you make it through the whole thing? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I learned some interesting stuff, and most of it was kind of fluff that I either already got from the show yeah. or didn't ever care to know. It was fun, but it was also kind of a mess, which also made it kind of it fun. It was. It was weird. It was a lot of these people sitting around a table with five or six people, and they would talk all at the same time. I and... felt like the disruptive forces in that were the Duffer Brothers themselves and that Seth guy. Yeah. Um, because any time they were on it, it felt Especially like chaos. That Seth guy. I thought, but but they also had some of the best stuff. That's what I'm saying. Oh, like, sure, they have the best insights, but it's more of a fun way to extend your like like the the real nuggets I got out of there were like um, the ones I found entertaining were like the snowball stuff where yeah. like these these young boys and girls had this very predictable reaction of like finding out they're going to have their first on screen kiss, and mm -hmm. I guess it wasn't scripted, so it's almost like. You know, it was floated in rooms like, well, what have you guys kissed? And they're like, uh, yeah. And then like just how kind of like weird and self-conscious they were all about it and how giggly they were about talking about it. That was like that was that was fun stuff. And like, um, you know, Millie Bobby Brown talking about her relationship with uh, fucking Hopper, whose name is completely escape. Uh, uh Shit. Jim Neighbor. Yeah, that's, his, that's, that's him. his name. No, it's David hopper no <laughs> harbor that's yeah it. david yeah. harbor um and like how much fun and how, how like hard and rewarding it was to film those like you know pseudo father daughter scenes yeah um, uh, i learned that winona Ryder is too big of a star to ever appear on something like this yes not even she's to like do a film the in. only person who wasn't in it like even harbor like was 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 even paul riser in. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Which I thought Paul Paul's part was really good. He too. was great, yeah. and he's like fully aware of like like he, he's like <laughs> oh when people see me in this role they're gonna think I'm the giant sack of shit. Yep, yep. and like how how much he enjoyed aiding and abetting the heist that they pulled on the audience. I I love it. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, um, I learned that Charlie Heaton is British as fuck, and yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, he did. Uh, he opens his mouth for the first time, and I'm like. What is happening? My right. world, I've just gone to the upside down. Yeah. Uh, I also learned... So it's something we had like speculated on, but I guess his name is Gaten, not Gatton. Um, yeah. Gaten calls the place where L goes the void uh -huh. because it's between the real world and the upside down is what he says. So, mm. I mean, it's something we had kind of the inferred. It's a matrix but it's, loading construct. It's like confirmation of that, um, that, that it... They are not going to the upside down when they're in that place. Uh, are you worried that Charlie Heaton's legal trouble over to cocaine is going to prevent him from participate? A little bit. Are you really? Because like yeah. I just can't see 
It just seems like for rich and famous people where there's a pile of money on the line, that just gets taken care of. I'm sure it will, yeah. Like, he might do some promos or stuff, but, like, I don't know what what quantity of cash and cocaine he would have to go through an airport to, like, be barred from the country such that Stranger Things 3 could not continue. Yeah. It's not, it's not right nor fair, but, you know, it is American. <laughs> yeah, I worry about it. I don't think it's going to be a problem, but... I yeah, would hate either. to see season three disrupted because of it. Right. I hate to see him disrupted because of it. He needs to fucking calm down, slow down. He's 23 years old. <laughs> like, he's got the world by his tail. Like, like yeah. leave the nose candy. Like, try, like maybe maybe, maybe sober up a bit for, for next season. It's not, not doing any favors there, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, about plenty that of, beyond. Plenty, plenty of time in your life to ruin it with cocaine. <laughs> yeah. You got a long way to go. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the host of Beyond Stranger Things. He seems a little oh, too wrapped up him. in his own role in the thing, and uh, not and not as much of a host. See, you said the Seth guy. The Seth guy's the one that consistently drove me crazy. Yeah, he drove me crazy too. Like I don't like. I get that he was like one of the executive producers, and he, was he a director or writer? I I just felt like he was a little too. I don't know. Like I thought he was the biggest disruptive force. He is. Yeah, I'm not saying the host was disruptive. I just don't. I don't like his jokes. Hmm. I like the whole about how important he is. I like the host. He's the dean from Community. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't have a problem with him. But that's it. Goes like, I guess there's, it just shows someone will probably rub you raw. Sure. So there's someone on this show you will not like. Yeah. Um, But it won't be any of the kids. They're awesome. No, they are all, especially Will. Look at how cute Will is and his like slicked back hair yeah. with his suit or his blazer yeah. with his rolled up 80 sleeves. Yeah. No, they they are all and that's the thing like I hope these kids all turn out okay. Yeah. It's going to be a real bummer if the Stranger Things kids like, you know, hit Skid Row or something when they get in their late teens. I mean, that would be the pattern. I know. It's you like know, you just look at like look at like the you got like these what six kids, seven kids, eight like you depending sure. on where you want to draw the line of kids like Yeah. 3 quarters of them are probably going to hit the skids probably if you just go by like hollywood math like i don't know but on the hand there's a lot of things there's a lot of positive changes happening in the industry right now so Mm -hmm. maybe you know they won't be fucking propositioned by a bunch of old dudes and sold like pieces of meat that'd be nice that would be nice uh ben t in the uk they're all going to turn out to be natalie portman's that's what i want uh i was so pleased with the season it's on par with the exceptional first series my only concern and I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Is Hawkins going to become too repetitive as a place where the upside down is visited so frequently? <laughs> I mean, the Duffer Brothers did an excellent job with the exception of the POV of the L episode. <clears throat> Everyone was incredible. They wrote the now classic cliffhanger, but again, it feels so sim- similar. And with Hawkins being the center of it all again, I understand there is now obviously some connection between the two points. But after smiling all through that last episode, I did wonder if they can keep Hawkins as the point between worlds now that the government's moved out. Be really interesting to see what they do next year. Oh, the government's not moving out, and more importantly, the government's moving sideways. The upside down's not moving out, right? Like you see at the end, hovering over the school is a giant monster. Yeah, there's so. a, there's a definite rift that's been weakened, and they've they got yeah. a plausible way to explain why it waxes and wanes throughout the seasons. And I don't, I mean. You can say that same thing about every fucking Harry Potter movie. Like it's all essentially about. Harry slowly dev- uh, aware of the latest threat of Voldemort when he goes back to school and it's all connected <laughs> to Hogwarts and why would anyone sit through seven well eight of those movies 
Uh, but they did in record numbers and made a shitload ton of uh, cash because if you keep it interesting and the characters are strong mm-hmm. and it's well written and keeps you guessing, like you will put up with a certain amount of familiarity. And sometimes that familiarity feels good. Like yeah. I started to miss like in the Harry Potter films when they got darker and more adult, like the fact that there would be a little bit like like there was no like schoolroom whimsy at all. Like, you know, when these kids start growing up, you you might be like, man, I really miss when they would just, like, go trick-or-treating or they would do D&D and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So. I do think season three is more of a challenge because season one, season two felt very similar. And I don't think that was a bad thing. But if all five seasons feel the same, essentially, in their plot, hmm. I think we could be looking at retroactively saying, eh, Stranger Things just kind of did the same thing over and over and it wasn't that interesting um so yeah, I, I do think they need to change things up but i don't think like taking it out of hawkins is really the way to do that yeah i don't think they can because there's some there's a lot of people ask similar questions like what core things of stranger things could we get bored of but yet if you took them out they would no longer be stranger things yeah. i think stranger things if it moves out of small town indiana doesn't feel like stranger things anymore in fact and, i think that's then, probably the big problem that people had with the l episode is that it went to the big quote-unquote big city it didn't feel like stranger things didn't feel like stranger things it felt like a whole other 80s movie so i think the the one other thing that i feel strongly about is that core group of kids yeah they need to i mean they can kill one of them if they really want to (laughs) well maybe two maybe two i could lose two now that a couple more in the pack we got some spares Uh, but you got to keep them around right it's got to that's the one thing they did right in this season that they were contemplating not doing they were thinking about making this sort of like an anthology sort of thing that would have been a huge mistake in my opinion i'm glad they stuck with these characters because that feels comfortable that feels like home agreed another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. 
Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Uh, Andy from Boston says, hey, is the girl that danced with Will at the end of season two the one that cried at his funeral in season one? That was a frequently asked question, and mm, I have no. compared the screenshots, and no. Yeah. And they were also, I think someone tracked down the actual credited actor, and they're different. So, nope, nope. It's a good fan theory, but no. Yep. Uh, Martinell, how likely is it the kids, a uh, kid his age would know Morse code enough by heart to spell out two words like that? He's talking about Will. None of the others did, and they had to decode it with a book. Um, I mean, again, I don't know if I told this on the show or if this was something I brought up in lunch, but like I literally had those Radio Shack uh walkie talkies are a model very similar that had that steel plate and like my my cousins and i he used those to keep in touch throughout our neighborhood because we lived like four or five houses down from each other we we spent some time and we actually learned morse code now not enough that i could probably do it without the steel plate you know um but it's not a stretch to believe that a kid like will who's like top of his class and deeply involved with like you know the ham radio set would know that and that maybe others like like maybe him and mike would know it or maybe him and lucas would know it but like dustin and mike wouldn't and mm-hmm. certainly none of the like like hopper could recognize it but couldn't translate it in real time so yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't have a huge problem with with will knowing that yeah uh brian t uh, so we have a couple I, I got an anthology of emails about episode seven because it was clearly the most <laughs> controversial one so here's yeah. the first is pro me okay brian t i'm totally with you aaron the emotions boiling at the end i did a double arms in the air misty eyed bastion riding a luck dragon fist bump when she said no but i can regarding saving her friends it totally got me However, in reference to Jim's point about Callie's forgettable crew and the divergence from the Duff Bros' previous attention to character development detail, I think it's intentional. I think they represent caricatures for Callie's canvas and helps us really center the episode and the focus on her and and Jane slash Eleven. I interpret their involvement as simply layering Callie's fork in the road as well as serving more deeply as a narrative tool to directly contrast the idea of a literal family that Eleven slash Jane surrounded herself with in, while in Hawkins. Maybe they spent 30 seconds too long on a Mohawk guy, but it did not work for me. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Like, they were in this... Oh. They're in this no-win situation where they're trying to introduce a bunch of potentially mentally ill or formerly mentally ill weirdos and outcasts in an 80 situation where you know let's face it they were like if if they made a 2000s version they would all look like hipsters they'd have flannel and they'd have immaculately uh coiffed uh pompadours and beards and thick rim glasses but it's the 80s so they had spike collars and fucking mohawks mm-hmm. with you know and 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 i i think they were kind of stuck there 
Uh, to well, I, oh, go ahead. I, I want to say it, it's hard to get stuck when you're the writer of something and the creator of something. If anything, they put themselves in that situation, and I I don't. I'm going to do enough apologizing for this mm-hmm. show because I just like it so much that right. I don't I don't really want to back off on on my opinion on episode seven because I didn't enjoy it. No, and, that's and fine. it's hard it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly why and tell you like in these terms here's where they screwed up and narratively right. they they really screwed the pooch here and here's why but no it's a classic honestly, this... I, I came away from that episode going eh I, I this took me away from the thing that I really cared about and so I didn't like it as much and I'm gonna apologize for the Duffer brothers in a lot of other ways so I feel like episode seven is where I want to put my foot down and say I didn't like it yeah, no, I don't think you should. Like, but on the other hand, um, I, I mean, obviously you're onto something because the the hate or dislike or preference preference towards not <laughs> uh, liking uh, episode seven was well represented on like our forums in feedback in on Reddit. Um, so like, you're clearly onto something there. It's just so weird because. You know, like I maybe maybe I'm apologizing too much, but I don't feel like it because like my first initial reaction was that was a pretty good episode. and I'm glad I got to see the look and like hmm. I, and, and again, the idea that it was the first choice, authentic choice that Jane was able to make about her life. And that choice had to take place away from Mike and Hopper and everybody else for it to be an authentic one. So yeah. like you say like yeah it's it's the right it's the writers ultimately are to blame for everything I think you're right but like this might have been the least terrible thing unless they just abandoned the idea of Jane getting off somewhere where she was on equal footing and can make the decision to return completely in a vacuum like but no, I think and that this was... is where I feel silly because everybody who argues against it and says myself included and says I didn't like that episode mm-hmm. can give you like some reasons but right. i think it when you dig into it and you say okay narratively here's why it does work and that's right. what all the people are saying hey no this does work because of this reason and this reason this right. reason i like i tend to nod my head and agree and say okay that's fine what it comes back to is i just didn't like it and i feel silly for that yeah, because i don't have a great to, way you're to trying defend to, it. to describe why you don't like chocolate malts chocolate <laughs> malts are delicious right. they're so malty and chocolatey why can't you like them they're it, too exactly. cold no, it's not or the... here's why like the science of it oh right. the cold mixes with the malt and you right, right. it gives serotonin to your brain or whatever yeah. but the other side of that is just this visceral thing of like I don't it like just it. didn't do it for me no. i it took me away from the stuff that i really like right like the vanilla malts <laughs> right right um, and the other thing is like, you know, like it's, it's fair to say that you're not that invested in like, you know, Jane making existential choices about her like Like that's not the themes of stranger things that dr- drug you in. So like the value of that plot and her character, like is a relative thing, you know, it's like, okay, well, yeah, if you admit like, okay, well, maybe that's interesting. It's not as interesting as like anything that happened in season one. So like. I'd reject the necessity of it for of it happening. 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly why I don't like. Just, it, just don't like chocolate malts, man. Just don't like chocolate malts. Uh, regarding Jim's take on interluding the Hawkins happenings with Eleven slash Jane's narrative in some sort of Empire Strikes Back like style, this was exactly nearly word for word what I thought and texted to a buddy of mine who was dogging on the episode. I actually really enjoyed episode 207. However, I felt they could have integrated the Hawkins parallel storyline as noted above. That said, as much of the cliffhanger at the end of episode six left you tachyardic, uh, pupils dilated mm-hmm. and, and, and twitching for more, they really had to be all in for its follow-up. That's the thing. Like Now that we've seen the whole thing, I don't know how well interleaving would have affected the final plot. Because, like, there might not have been room for all of what they wanted to do with, with Eleven and Callie, or Jane and Callie. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it. Yeah, I get what, what they're getting at. Like, um, like, like and that's the thing. Like, I, I bet. Because here's the thing. I'm sure the Duffers tried it both ways in editing Bay. Like, they're not idiots. They could have broken that up and, like, edited it. And even if they wrote it one way, they could have assembled it and tried it and seen. Like, I just, I just wonder because, like, a lot of the things that writers get stuck with is they have to have like each, you know, they got they got nine episodes. And you got to break that into three act arc, roughly, unless mm. you just want to flaunt storytelling convention. And then you've got to have a satisfying like climax and resolution and cliffhangers. And then each individual story ideally has that same kind of three act flow. Mm. And sometimes shit just makes a decision because like, well, this is the best we can do. Like we're going to go all in on a single episode focus because that gives us a nice climax to the episode before the episode after and this one has a nice one and then we stitch them together by the end of the i i, I don't know sure it's yeah I it's mean, tough i would love to see a fan edit of that just to see i would too and that, that's what it comes back to like we know how it turned out we don't know how it could have turned out and how it could have um, been better and how could it have been better and so i don't want to go in and like again apologize and say oh i'm sure the deffer brothers took the time to try this and right. it didn't work and so now we're getting the best version possible right uh we don't know that <laughs> John G. regarding episode 7, I'm with Jim on this one, but not for the same reasons. Oh. I don't mind if they mess with the momentum of the season by going off on a tangent, because it's a binge show. I'll be through it and on to the next episode immediately. What I don't <laughs> like is turning Stranger Things into Heroes or Sense8 or X-Men. I don't want to <laughs> run around and find all the special power people. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was so cheesy, which may have been an intentional reference to cheesy 80s stuff. I don't know. But living in the cartoon version of homelessness with the cartoon riffraff kids who are offing members of a secret organization controlled by the U.S. government that built all this groundwork for our main characters. They were real kids put in a weird situation. Then they threw us into this totally different universe of undeveloped characters. It felt like a completely different show, one that I don't have any interest in watching. Stranger Things is grounded in the reality of kid logic in the 80s. It's about the world as localized to those kids. It's not an international gang of superheroes. It's E.T. where the alien is discovered in the suburbs of a backyard shed. It's the Goonies where a bunch of kids in bad homes that their parents are about to lose go on an adventure for pirate treasure. It's when the first reaction is to hide it from your parents... Uh, and how you will play it at school. It's about taking that energy, adding a horror science fiction element to the upside down into it, and keeping it grounded in those three kids, a wor- the world from their perspectives and from where they live. Poor Will, getting excluded. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely an element to that because, yeah. again, like I said, like you can't, like, like you have to get Eleven and Jane away from the people that care about her so she can live her own life for a little bit, and that life has to live, look 
materially different because if it didn't if she just followed like imagine how silly it would have been well i don't even know if it's silly but like she goes finds eight and it's callie and callie's living with this very nice family in chicago and she's got brothers and sisters and a friend circle and there's no upside down mm-hmm. like jane what if they probably her- just stays there and like i finally found a home and no one's treating me weird and the government but she's got to find her mom right that's the thing she has to go back and heal her mom maybe no i mean she's part of her quest is finding her mom understanding where she comes from right that sort of thing but she found that and then that led to callie so i'm like saying like that's almost like an end point they needed something weird and crazy for her to rebound off of and go back to to her 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 actual family so maybe instead of like the warrior sort of thing they could have gone with ferris bueller's day off maybe they have her just go on an adventure through the city (laughs) Right, right. They could have done. They could have done that, or they could have taken it. Like they, they didn't have to go the Warriors. They could have gone like misfit nerds, like essentially uh-huh. the same as like you know, like like home homeless versions of Mike and Lucas and all them. <laughs> yeah. Um. But they went very. I mean, I don't know. The they, the one thing I don't want to see, I I don't really ever want to see the other, at least nine, super powered kids. I don't mm-hmm. want to see them. Like, yeah. If this, like he's saying, devolves into heroes right. or X Men or something, save the world business. I, I consider that a de-evolution as right. opposed to a progression of a story that I like. I'm, I'm not interested in the superpowered kids going around fighting superpowered monsters because it just doesn't feel like Stranger Things. Right on. For all the reasons that he, you know, it, it actually uh, feels like out. season three is going to have to. Because they built this mythos that Eleven's going to be the one that saves the day all the time. They can't mm-hmm. save you, but I can save them. I kind of think they have to save her. Yeah. In a very real way. Mm-hmm. Um, next season or that will be a little bit too tropey. Uh, Jordan, uh, this, is the, this closes out our C, uh, episode seven trilogy. While discussing the Lost Sister episode, um, Aaron said something about Callie potentially being discarded because her powers are less useful than Eleven's. I wanted to push back on that because Callie's pro- powers could po- probably become more useful for the government. The CIA would probably kill to get an assassin who could make herself invisible to the target and all witnesses. It makes me wonder more about her story and how she ended up doing petty crimes with her bands of misfits. Do you think we'll get more story about Callie and the other Hawkins Lab kids with future seasons? And is that something you're interested in seeing? Well, no. I you're interested said in that. seeing them. Um, I am not going to shut the door on Callie nor any other potential kids because we'll talk about that here in a bit. Um, but I'm I'm closer to Jim than I am with just wide-eyed, oh, man, I can't wait to see a bunch of these fucking Muppet babies going around levitating. Like, uh-huh. there's a fine line. Like, everything, a new, any kid should exist to tell us something about Jane mm-hmm. and compare and contrast their experience with Jane's experience or her path. Like, it should never, like, I don't want this to become another main character who is a, has a superpower. Like, it, it should be a tool with which we can understand Jane a little bit better. But yeah. then again, we'll have to see what the brothers are cooking up. Um, Bex. Of all the TV, uh, or all the epic TV shows that serve the Comic-Con collective, such as Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, etc., Stranger Things must overcome one major obstacle, instant gratification. The fans don't have to wait a week or two weeks or several suspenseful months to get to the next chapter in the story. Does this make it harder for fans to rank it in their top ten list? Would Stranger Things be more or less successful if it's parceled out in its episodes? Are we more critical because we're given all the answers to our questions so easily? 
Man, that's that's a hot topic. Yeah, the show is I want to say the show is unique in that because I think it's the first one that of this format that has really hit big in those kind of pop culture circles. Right. Um specifically in those like geeky nerdy ones. Mm. Uh and it has a real challenge of staying relevant in the off season. Yes. Unlike shows like Game of Thrones where you got 10 weeks, well, used to have 10 weeks of right. it. Um 10 weeks is a, like a fifth of the year. So right. this thing is done and over with in like a a 300th of the year. Yeah. You know? Uh, like people we're, binge we're, this thing in two days. If we didn't have the con last week, we would have gotten this out last week. And then yeah. Stranger Things, as far as bald move is considered, would have blown into town and gone and left in, in, in a week or two. And I think that's true of the mind share of the fans. Yes. You know, they're on to the next thing before this can even kind of get started. And that's a huge challenge as far as like making this a super popular because it's not a season it's 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 not like like it's the difference between the fourth of july and christmas one of the Mm -hmm. reasons that christmas is so goddamn popular is because it's a whole fucking season yeah like from thanksgiving to you get a solid month of this stuff of decorating your house and shopping and feasting and and you know like how is a valentine's day going to compete with it like right stranger things is kind of like fourth of july it's super fun it's loud it's entertaining mm-hmm. and then you're done and you're back to you're back to work on monday and what'd you do oh i did some fire and then uh, you move on it's yeah so i don't know um that's definitely the drawback but it also has a lot of like being able to binge at your own pace and if you have a week off episode it's like it doesn't hang in the air like a fart of a whole like oh my god if game of thrones has two off episodes like Mm -hmm. the fan base is ready to jump off a cliff and i think it's good for capturing new people too because it's out there and it's available year round and right you know you might hear about it it might be written about somewhere in the off season you go yeah i should catch up on that right and you got a year to do it whereas these other shows they come out on netflix what a week before the new season comes out yeah <laughs> like yeah uh i i don't know so it's got its advantages and disadvantages but from a like mindshare perspective i think it's hugely disadvantageous indeed josh h are there any pop culture tie-ins such as dragon's lair ghostbusters you'd like to see in season three and beyond that would bring some sort of thematic weight with them <laughs> thematic weight i was gonna say yeah like uh you know super mario brothers or nintendo <laughs> is gonna be huge in 85 so. right and he said i can see the duffers reference somehow used back to the future which came out in oh, july of 85 yeah. and super mario brothers which came out in september of 1985 back to the future needs to be part of next season do you know what else came out in september of 1985 macgyver <laughs> and if these kids are anything like yeah, me, man. it is going to re like the idea of this guy doing stuff out of random junk is going to be right up this kid's alley oh, that's that could be so awesome we almost blinded a kid in fourth grade trying to emulate a macgyver stunt that's a funny that's a funny tra- slash tragic story i should Shit. tell sometime but that's like, because I'm like, huh, I went and looked it up in September 9th, 19, like, if you tell me the Duffer Brothers never watched MacGyver, I call you a liar. <laughs> I call you a goddamn liar. Uh, you know what else came out in 1985? The Goonies. 
The Goonies did? The thing is, I like, feel like they've already done the Goonies. That's the thing. They are the Goonies. They are, like, yeah. I wonder, like, if there'll be a gag of them walking out of the Goonies and be like, <laughs> like, like, what kind of lame ass adventure was that? Like, we've been through interdimension. Like, it would be funny if, like, them commentating on their own experience through the lens of the Goonies. <laughs> right. I like, looked at looking at the Goonies as knockoff versions of themselves. So here's the things happening in cinema and film in '85: Nightmare in Elm Street. Um, Rocky Four, Rambo Two, Commando, Teen Wolf, Mad mm. Max, Beyond Thunderdome, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, like you said, the debut of the United States debut of Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Nintendo will be big. It's like be. like, yeah. I, and I'm almost wondering if like the, the the light zapper will be some sort of thing. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking like... And it might be a thing the way Lucas Wrist Rocket is a thing, where like Uh it's like something that pathetic and couldn't possibly work, but it somehow does because Eleven's magic or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking of... um, When did the Transformers come out? Ooh, that's a good. Is that I think already earlier, out at that because point? Because I was in I second so. grade when I, I, I when when I got my first Transformer. Because I could see a a scene where, eh, I I don't know. It's probably stupid, and I don't know how they'd work it in. But can you imagine <laughs> like the MacGyver and the Transformers coming together? Where like, oh man, the kids build something, and L kind of makes it work. Hmm. Like so, they build something stupid that doesn't really work. Like let's say my hovercraft that I tried to build when I was. A teenager, right? And it never got off the ground because I built it wrong. Yeah. But if L was there, it would have got off the ground. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Miniseries one came out in '84. Okay. So season two came out in '85, which means the movie came out in '85 too. Hmm. Um, I could definitely I see that being a thing. Um. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like Transformers, the movie came out in '86. Would be too because like that would also be an interesting way to. Um, talk about like this, like some sort of self sacrifice, you know, like mm. like like Optimus Prime laying down his life to save the Autobots could be yeah. some some powerful fodder that gets brought in to season four. I guess would have to be, but my 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 I, I they got like MacGyver is what I'm uh, like like pinning my hopes on. That was such a pivotal show for me as a kid. Yeah, uh, I kind of want to see that. And then like I said, some kind of reference of the Goonies would be kind of sweet. Um, yeah. Uh, you have any other you want to talk about, or should we move on? I mean, we've already had the ultimate Goonies reference. Sean Astin was right. in the show, right? Right, right. How much further can they go with that? But Talking about pirate we'll treasure, no less. Yeah. Um, which, that's another great reference. That's one of the... the, the that was the, the best reference, great reference, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, Molly from Missouri. I finished watching Stranger Things by Saturday afternoon, only because I forced myself not to stay up all night watching. <laughs> all night watching. It's another great season. It hits right in my age range, too, but I am female, so I didn't get to have the same kind of fun the guys have here. I grew up in rural Missouri, so we didn't have as much access to cool arcades, and since I was a girl, I was never invited to play Dungeons & Dragons. Life was hard for nerds in the 70s and 80s, but as many angsty boy movies I have seen, life as a barb was so much more miserable. There is so much more pressure to be girly back then, and science fiction was generally a guy thing. The only relief I had was from my oldest sister who would take me with her to Star Trek and Doctor Who conventions in St. Louis in the summers. I could actually be cool there. Thankfully, our daughter has it better at 11. She loves gaming and dragons and is on the robotics team at school. She can go to GameStop and talk to other gamer girls. I love Stranger Things for its great story and characters and for the nostalgia of an experience I was qualified for but never really got to have. What a bummer. Yeah. And this, sounds 
Like a huge bummer. This is like a like, you know, like I don't want to be like the whole uh this is why we need feminism, but like uh this is kind this the like we're making the world a better place because I've heard that from enormous amount of like my current wife, that was something she's always bitching about that like she never got to play video games the way her brothers got to play video games and was discouraged from doing so. And yeah. like I think about my cousin who was just as into Star Wars as us and then she went to school and had to care more about fucking strawberry shortcake and and my little ponies to fit in and right like you know how much how much of human history is about putting people into little boxes whether they fit there or not and how you know the trend of stopping doing that is good for everyone Mm -hmm. so i appreciate you start telling your story i'm glad your daughter's having an easier road and i hope it continues to get that way molly uh Nick H., how do you think these powers started? Is it like some sort of mutation arisen from government experiments, or were these children somehow made pre-birth to have it? It seems more the mutation explanation, but how does that correlate with the upside down? I feel like the next season will start to unearth and give us more background into that. But what came first, the 11 or the upside down? Could the 11 have started first and opened the upside down, or were eleven, or were the 11 created to fight the upside down? No, I, I mean, season one is all about L you know her journey to essentially open the rift between right. the real world and the upside down like she she did it uh without l the upside down would have stayed upside down right so yeah they, they definitely would never have been become it's kind of, it's, it, they never have become aware of our presence right um it was her power that brought him in so her power obviously came first and I, it was a result of the experiments that they did in her mom um with all the lsd and i don't know how lsd changes you in that way sure fucks with your brain i guess um, uh-huh. and when she was born she had these powers plus i think in this version of mk ultra it wasn't just lsd and marijuana they were it's probably, probably worse and I, yeah. I think that yeah like so i think what the story it's out there to piece together but you understand that like L's or, or Jane's mother was the first generation of subjects and that dr brenner was trying to put like like intentionally breed and then abduct these children that had the actual powers like i felt like that they were on some level engineered for yeah sure. i get the feeling that maybe he might have stumbled onto the idea uh, right. with the first child right but then you know she's number 11 right so he's been at this for a while trying different things yeah and then 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 like you said they didn't they didn't create the upside down or the demogorgons. Like, mm-hmm. I don't believe that's true. What I think no. is true is their experiments with remote viewing and teleportation, like the, the, the mental and psychic energies used there weaken the bond between our dimensions. And apparently it, it seems like that you're supposed to understand that the demogorgons kind of use a similar psychic energy to go mm-hmm. between an interdimensionally shift. Yeah. And that weakness created the the the, the portal here in Hawkins. So, mm-hmm. and that's why it's like I do feel like I don't have a single problem believing that Hawkins is ground zero for this place. Yeah, unless unless the Russians start do like you know as they're like you know what if the Russians start experimenting uh-huh. this technology? But then it's like again like I don't want to see Stranger Things in the fucking Ukraine, mm-hmm. right? No. Um. So although yeah. L with a big old fur hat on would be pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um. Justin E. from the Outer Banks. Working my way through these podcasts, one of the things I'm really digging is all the pop pop culture callbacks and homages that you guys noticed I wasn't aware of. My question is, does this layer need to stop, or does it have to at some point? 
I feel like there is some part of the Duffers that felt like they had to make these connections on screen to show that they are aware of the bones of their story and how similar it is to the works of Spielberg and Stephen King. Like, if they didn't blatantly play tribute to people, uh, they would have just called the show a ripoff. But as we tangentialize further and further from those original bones into such a well-crafted original story that has nothing in common with the works that they've been paying homage to or any longer, do these connections still need to be there? Is it still Stranger Things without the 80s references? Asking the question need to be there is interesting because um, I don't want them to stop. They've shown that they can do it so well. And also, um, to the extent that this is about the kids, kids are pop culture sponges. That's true. And yeah. that's like, you know, when you don't have experience, you substitute the things you've read or seen or seen on television and seen as movies. Like, I can remember, like, as a kid planning kid heists with kid logic and cartoon logic, and mm-hmm. they went about as well as you would expect. Yeah. Um. So, like... I think that, I don't know, as the kids get older, maybe we'll see less of that because it's like mirroring their adult disillusionment, like their retreat from fantasy. But on the other hand, they're getting in the prime comic book age. Uh, They're they're actually in the D&D way too early. Like that could still be a viable (laughs) part. They're prime video game age. Um, Even... Even some early computer stuff, you know? Right. Um, they already got the, the started the skateboard culture, like that started yeah. to penetrate into the Midwest at this point. Like, there's a lot of things they can still do, but I don't know that... I mean, your email is a perfect example. Like, so much of this stuff you miss. They're, they're, this, they're there as Easter eggs and, and they kind of populate the world, but they don't... Again, these characters and the dialogue and the situations, that is what makes... Stranger Things, if it was yeah. just pop culture palooza, it would be the fucking family guy. And I think that's part of his point. You know, they they are blatant about the references when they make them, certainly. Some of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a good chunk of them. Um, but, I mean, he, he does say that, you know, they're crafting this very unique story that kind of stands on its own. And, and yes, it also stands on the backs of the 80s giants, but... Mm-hmm. At some point, can it branch out and be its own thing without the references? I, I don't think that would feel quite like Stranger Things to me because yeah. the because they're so baked in those references right. um, to to everything in the show. But right, I, I think the answer is yeah, it could, but does it need to? I don't know. Yeah, I hope it does because again, if they if 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 they law like because it's it's a fine line between referencing and just being historical historical okay. right okay yeah like if 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 the kids went at trick-or-treating they didn't dress up like the ghostbusters who would they would dress up like if, yeah. if the show started like inventing its own pop culture mm-hmm. to not reference real pop culture that would feel very strange to me and or, like, or if and like, this were about like businessmen in the 80s right? right and they were dressing up like ghostbusters that would feel fucking weird. or it's like imagine like someone in season two of breaking bad saying like these meth montages are pretty freaking awesome but can they really sustain them in the long run and would yeah. breaking bad be breaking bad without them and then you get crystal blue persuasion and you're like nope no right yeah, yeah no they, they will <laughs> and they are and no it wouldn't like yeah. like would it feel as good if they took it out of the desert and started shooting it in you know goddamn vancouver <laughs> fuck no it wouldn't they would not feel like like right. there are some some shows that have very stylistic choices that they lean fully into and they do that throughout their run and that's what they're known for and no one gets sick of it. I think yeah. this could be Stranger Things thing. It, you know, and again, that's the icing on the cake. If you don't have the cake, it's bullshit. 
But <laughs> right, right. Like I'm saying, like you know, it, it's it's a stunt, and that's why I'm like, yes, this is a stunt, but it's also working. So yeah. Uh, Keith from Portland, I want to get you this information regarding Dr. Brenner. It's from an interview the Duffers did with IGN. The quote from the Duffer Brothers is, "I would say that if we're going to kill Dr. Brenner as an audience member watching the show, if that was his death, referring to the monster jumping out at him, mm-hmm. it would be very unsatisfying to me." The Demogorgon jumps on him, and we cut away. He deserves much more than that as an ending. So, yes, there's a possibility of seeing him again. Keith continues, I think that with how much we he still was in this season and hint that he is still around, this is not the last we're going to see of him. And, and, and I okay, I'm, I was always of that opinion. Yeah, I'm so definitely not. this is vindication for me. I want to hear you say what you think about the Duffer brothers talking their big talk, talking I, their big Brenner talk. I would say if season two were any shakier, if it was like, if they didn't nail it like they did season one, I'd be looking at that saying, man, they're going to fuck that up. And that's really going to ruin my, my sense of immersion. But they did nail season two and I feel like they are, you know, they're on a roll here. Yeah. Maybe they could come up with something that would make me okay with it. Right. But I'd have to see that thing before I can say yes or no on it because i in my mind brenner is dead and then there's like there's ways they can do it they can bring brenner back scarred like he could be like visibly changed by the experience he could be more machine than man he could be like he could they could have abducted him and he's fused with the demogorgon intelligence and now he's like he's robocutus of borg like robodoc robodoc like there's a lot of ways well when does robocop come out i think it might have already come out um, Robocop is the original Robocop comes out in 87 early. 87 okay. that's when he comes Three years season from 5 now, yep. season 5 is when he comes he's back he's the final bad guy he's the ultimate transform tran- transformer final boss yeah final boss um so yeah obviously I don't hate it and I kind of expected it anytime I mean that's how I roll anytime I see someone killed off camera <laughs> I think that's a way that you could plausibly bring someone back they definitely you, killed Bob if you show someone's head getting splattered or cut off or Guts expl- ripped out then yes they're they're totally dead yeah. when, I, when I see them shit their pants is when <laughs> I know they're dead We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Mike B., just finished listening to your final podcast, and you guys discussed why Dustin's Demo Dog chose to ignore the Shadow Demon. This may be a reach, but are we sure Dustin's Demo Dog is part of the Shadow Demon's hive mind? I remember an earlier episode showing a flashback to Will's Season 1 finale where he throws up the slug into the bathroom sink. This flashback occurs after Will sees Dart for the first time. Perhaps they're suggesting Dart is not actually associated with the Shadow Demon and simply its own entity birthed from Will's stomach. 
This would ex- help explain its own weird mm. agency and possible survival post-gate closure. Yeah, pretty sure. I mean, that is the one that Will threw up. Yes. Well, yeah, but we don't know later. that. That's the thing, like, yeah. the, I, the reason hmm. that I resist that is, like, so did it spend almost a year in, like, some kind of weird hibernation, which is something that Possible. creatures do. Yeah. Um, or I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But if... If they suggest that that Dart is like some kind of human demigorgon hybrid, then like mm-hmm. yeah, Katie barred the door and all that speculation. Who knows what'll happen? I don't know. It, if it's if it's human, it didn't really manifest much humanity. I mean, it did <laughs> not physically. kill the kids when it was able to. Yeah, and... physically though, it's it's oh yeah yeah all yeah, yeah, demo yeah. dog right. all the time. Well, you know. Dustin's mouth was was kind of kind of rough in season one too. Maybe it's going. He's got that same condition. Yeah, he's got the Demogorgon version of whatever mm-hmm. uh, something plasia he's got. Uh, but yeah, I I like that idea. And again, it's one of those things where they can take it or leave it because like I'm it's not a burning question in my mind. But if it turns out that Dart becomes like a faithful steed or companion, there's lots of ways they can explain that that I'd be cool with. Caitlin from North Carolina, having watched the whole thing through, my only real critique is I don't understand the point of Max. Was she to introduce the idea that the boys were a little older and starting to be attracted to girls? I think they could have done that without going into Billy and her parents and introducing a lot of questions about who they are and why they moved. And they did plenty with Mike connecting to Will on feeling lonely and having visions. Introducing Max as a reminder of Eleven's absence wasn't necessary. I feel like everything with Max and her whole family could have been removed and the show would not have suffered. Or if her backstory and role in the group is important to the overall narrative, then I would have liked to at least understand that better this season. Lucas and Dustin were much more important characters and they didn't get parents and family until season two. I'm curious if you guys feel like Max and her backstory is critical to the show. What do you think, Jim? Um, I'm critical is tough to say. Like, could, yeah. could they have done something different and it still would have been good? Yeah, probably. But I think the ways in which Max serves the the overall plot are to kind of turn things around on Mike a little bit um, with the way he was acting with Elle the first season. Right. Um, and give, give a taste Dustin, of his own medicine. Yeah, give Dustin and Lucas something to fracture them a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, she also serves to push the Demogorgon, you know, the, the Dart uh, plot forward because Dustin wouldn't have done much of that stuff without... Mm-hmm. The desire to impress Max, right. so I think it's it's pretty well tied into the core group of kids who we care about, right? Um, to the point where, and I also didn't want her to just be that. I mean, it, it feels right that she has more to her. Yeah, and like, there's also a case for just like representation, like to 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 the the extent that yeah. um, the the one woman from Missouri said like. I my son was all about like Molly said my son was all about Stranger Things and I think it's healthy for little boys to see that like you know it doesn't have to be a goddamn sausage fest and mm-hmm. you kind of look like an asshole if you try to hold on to that quote unquote ideal for whatever reason sure so like if no other reason than to have a a a female a female as this friend used to say interacting mm-hmm. with the boys I think that's good in and of itself in addition to all the reasons you gave. Yeah, and I think the fact that Dustin and Lucas come to terms at the end of this, you know, right. it doesn't actually come it, between them. It shows them. a healthy way to deal with this dynamic, right. something that's also sorely needed. They struggle with it, but they eventually come around, you right. know. Right. And, and the other thing is, like, so all those reasons we talked about, I think, are good in and of themselves. The other one is that, like, the Duffer brothers have 
the confidence that they were going to get multiple seasons now after the success of the first season, which gives them the freedom to put things in the plot and not have to explore them right away. They're in the back burner. Mm. They're cooking. Like, there's a lot of interesting things going on with Billy and his family and things to explore. There's a lot of interesting things going on with Max and how that does the dynamic that they don't... Like, everything had to kind of be asked and answered in season one because they were desperate to get... To be successful. Yeah. Well, now they got the confidence that they, they can they, they can they can keep some of that stuff uh, in reserve and not have to get to everything and have, like, all these these bones of these characters are going to get stronger and stronger as the seasons go and, like, what all kind of meat can you stick on those bones? So I feel like it's also them not growing and maturing as storytellers, but more like now we know this is not going to be... Like like if they were old, like if they were marginal and Netflix like we'll give you another season see what you do with that maybe Max is a lot more streamlined or maybe she doesn't have an asshole brother or maybe she doesn't exist yeah. at all but then like Netflix guaranteeing them was it two more seasons at, at least, least two more, yeah. with an eye towards a four or five season arc mm-hmm. that lets that just opens up the possibilities much more yeah. Janelle from Philly. I was not sure the season two would be able to live up to season one hype, but I came away really impressed. I finished the season with new favorites. I really like Steve Steve and Lucas now. Last season, I thought Lucas was whiny and jealous, but my boyfriend loved him instantly. Apparently, season one, Lucas was just a quote-unquote realist. This season, they gave him more to his story, and they added layers to his character. I love that door drop-kicking kid now. <laughs> Last season, Steve was just some rich douchebag douche who tried too hard, and I guess dealing with life and death showed him what was really important. So instead of high school douchebag Steve, we get to see really sweet and cool guy uh, Steve. Too bad he's going to be friend zone next season. Ugh. I like Bob, but he had to die so that Hopper and Joyce can get together in season three. <laughs> yes, I'm totally shipping him. Um. Uh. So I want to talk about everyone really came away loving Steve. Like Steve yeah. is like the biggest meme generator uh, coming out of this season. Like the fact that he's like the like advent- I saw an Adventures of Babysitting uh, uh, mix cover. up with yeah. him. I saw like um, I, there's just just tons of memes on the Stranger Things subreddit. Um, so what do we feel like to the extent that like I in season one. I was a little more pro Jonathan and Nancy, even though Jonathan was a little creepy around the edges. Season two, like I feel like Steve and I, I'm kind of Steve and Nancy all the way. Like I don't feel I don't feel the chemistry between Jonathan and Nancy. Yeah, it's man, it's tough to say because I think I think I'm with you, and it's I don't know that it's not going to happen, but it's clearly been derailed a bit. Maybe by Steve, the stuff that Jonathan and Nancy. Got maybe through. Steve moves on and has like he finds like a like an awesome awesome woman that he's happy with, and that 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 adds a different uh, element to the triangle because at no time has there been a rival for Nancy's affections mm-hmm. or Steve's affections, I should say. Yeah. So that'd be kind of interesting. Um, hmm. And that's before I get into the whole concept of being friend zone. This whole this, this total total bullshit. Um, but. I do what like do Steve about, a lot more this season. What, and this Hopper and Joyce getting back together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I guess like I really like Hopper. I really like Joyce. I'm not so sure they should get like this couple up right away. Yeah, I mean, uh, they've they've been through a lot of loss and they got a lot of things going on. Like this, that 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 I think could be a long term. But like, I don't. Mm-hmm. I feel like. They're more foolish than their characters actually are if they just jump right into each other's arms in this yeah. off season. 
And it doesn't seem like that was where we left it at the end of last season, uh, right. at the end of this season, I guess. Right. Um, we kind of left it more on the friend terms, which sure. I'm I'm okay, certainly for the time being, and if they have a relationship later on, that's fine. But uh, so I, I don't know. I like it how it is kind of right now. I thought this next email kind of informed what we're talking about. Nicola from London. I wanted to draw attention to a small moment just after Bob dies in episode eight where Joyce is sitting on the bed alone and Hopper comes into the room. For some reason, I found the fact that he doesn't sit next to her on the bed but instead sits on the floor extremely sweet and respectful. It's such a tiny moment that contains so much information about his character and his relationship with Joyce. And that's what I'm what I'm what I'm talking about. The fact that he knows it would be super inappropriate to like sit on the bed and put his arm around her while you know Bob's body is still still warm. <laughs> right. And how like at the dance like they're old friends and are reminiscing. Yeah. But they're not going to like go home and get drunk and fuck mm-hmm. because maybe that's what they do in high school, but they're adults now. So like telling the adult version of that relationship is tricky and mm-hmm. tough and it's going to take time and I hope they go down that road. Um although like yeah, if if they don't they just rush into it. I'm I'm kind of down <laughs> with that too. <laughs> okay. I like Hopper, I like Joyce. Why not get them together? Mhm. Carla H. from St. Louis. Stranger Things 2 was fantastic. One thing that's awesome to me was meeting Mike's mom or seeing Mike's mom read Hearts of Flame because this is one of my favorite books. We debated whether it was actually a book or whether it was... It says, I heard you guys discussing the cover and thought it would be fun for you to know that it was, in fact, Fabio as the model on the cover. Of course. Uh, Of course, Fabio did a ton of historical romances. Yeah. Hearts of Flame. Favorite book. (laughs) Um... All right. Like I said, ain't no shame in reading Harlequin romance novels. Not for me, but they're super popular. Mm-hmm. I remember being scandalized when I found, like, my aunt stash and, like, a one summer, and I, like, just started flipping through because I was fucking bored on my skull, and I'm like, what is this tur- liturgid <laughs> member? Oh, my uh-huh. God. I needed this dictionary to see how filthy this all is. <laughs> what is this fat pink mask? <laughs> <laughs> That's when I got into, yeah, I found her her early copies of Martin's work. Yep. Uh, Fernando, who you might better know as Fern uh, from NYC on the forums. Mm-hmm. Did you find it odd that the demi-dogs wipe out everyone from Hawkins' lab, but Dr. Paul Reiser, who is clearly attached by them, uh, or is attracted by them, is left alive? He had no weapons of any kind when they found them. Could they have been? He, could he have been left behind by the shadow monster with maybe something planted in his dormant Evil. self, similar to Will? Evil Dr. Paul Reiser. Uh, That's the what rumors the, the will shadow never die. monster knew he was working for him secretly on the slide the whole time, which is why he was yep. spared. Yep. It's it's a classic mis- uh, Mission Impossible. If someone walks away from a suicide mission against all odds, they have to be in on it. Yep. Uh, I knew it. I knew... <laughs> I knew that we would get him eventually. I I want to say that the demo dogs were pulled away, and that's how he survived. But that's not true. Uh, I mean, I they, they weren't pulled away a, yet. A, a a combination of him locking himself behind a very secure door. These were not full grown demogorgons. They're not like invincible beings. Mm-hmm. They're like very large and strong dogs. So could you believe him hiding out in a lab if a pack of wolves, the vicious rabid wolves, were patrolling? Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I feel like I can f- buy, just buy, or 
he could be fucking dirty and made a pact with the Demi, Demi Devil. Yeah, because he made a pact with the the Duffer Brothers. He's the, he's the morally ambiguous Doctor Paul Reiser, and that's what he does. Yeah, it'll be the real twist coming when <laughs> evil Doctor Paul Reiser is actually evil, and they made you think that he's not, and now he actually is. Oh boy, controversial topic, Michael R. I think introducing us to 008 provides a clear gap that needs to be filled. No! Do you think next season we'll get introduced to 09 through <laughs> no. o, uh, uh, through 10? No. Why Please do you think, no. Why do you think they weren't in a rainbow room? My only thought for separate rooms would be 9 and 10 are boys and would also be curious what their powers are. 9 maybe, and 10 are dead, as, long as, as well as 1 through 7. Maybe instead of mental powers, they have some kind of physical power that will be most definitely be needed to defeat, be, to defeat something like the shadow monster of the army of Demodogs. They've, they have the, all, all of the remaining 9 have the power of invisibility. Right. Unfortunately, they're also unable to speak. So they will not be appearing or speaking in any more. Oh, it's like things. this fucking Langolier situation. Um, I the, the one thing I found interesting is like so far all of the super people are super women, and the idea that there would be a, a room full of boys that is not like that's that is somewhat interesting. Like the, the fact that maybe this is a mutation that can only happen to women yeah, or that, that there's boys and like what their experience is going to be. And like, you know, would that, I mean, it would kind of be interesting to introduce a mysterious boy character because like he has so much in common with 11 and would that threaten Mike and L's relation or, and hmm. Jane's relationship. And, yeah. and then he turns out to be evil and the boys have to save L. <laughs> right. I mean, there's like, there's some interest, but again, if they show up, I only want them as a prism to see L through or as something to, to propel the, the plot of Jane forward. Like, yeah. I don't want them to hang around as, as, as stock characters because you get too many of those super kids and it just devalues everyone else. Yeah. Uh, like, one L is worth the rest of the cast in terms of power level already. Mm-hmm. It's like fucking Superman and Aquaman. Why is Aquaman <laughs> right. a, a thing? Like, he should have yeah. just retired. He should have mm-hmm. retired. Um, let's move on to Amelia from Durham, North Carolina. I thought I'd share a few fun facts I hadn't seen anywhere online. We live in Durham, North Carolina, which happens to be the hometown of the Duffer Brothers. And we're close friends with an older couple who lives three houses down from where the Duffers grew up. In fact, her parents still live there. Many of the geographical names on the show are right here in Durham. Loch Nora, where the boys get all the great candy, is in fact a wealthy neighborhood where you can actually get full-size candy bars. Nice. The others are Cornwallis, Mount Sinai, Jordan Lake, uh, quoted as Lake Jordan, and Eno, the Eno River. I'm sure there are many more that I've missed. Which, that's an interesting thing because we were trying to put the geographic features and map them to some place in Indiana, and we couldn't. And it's because they've essentially taken their Durham, North Carolina upbringing and mapped it into northern Indiana. Right. Which is kind of cool. Because it feels like a real place, but it's not. Uh-huh. Um, our friends at the Duffers were always riding around on their bikes, making movies with their camcorders. They've <laughs> also apparently asked their parents to ship them their childhood t- teddy bears for that scene in Jane's room. Just thought you'd enjoy the origin story of the Duffers and how it played into the plot. No, that's super cool. I appreciate that. That's all, that answers at least a couple questions that I had. Um... Moving on to Travis M. from Morgantown. Is it just me, or is there an exorbitant amount of peel-outs by cars in this show? Did this also occur in season one? I swear there are at least one or sometimes more each episode. Uh, the only one I can explicitly remember from season one is Steve peeling out after getting his ass beat and having the fight with Tommy. Um, 
Also, uh, I clearly remember Joyce burning out because we made that was like the first mm. joke we made. Okay. Like my God, she's in a she's redlining the stoplining the whole time. It does seem like a thing. It's I don't know whether it's just super dynamic or cool or yeah the fact that they're on gravel roads and they're parked in yards and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, a lot of lot a lot of peeling out and yard job happening. A lot of it comes from Billy, and I I totally get that. Yeah, getting Billy's that, just an asshole. <laughs> getting getting that car to hook up on wet grass or gravel road is just you know an exercise in futility. Yep. Um, Chris from Rancho Cordova, California. Uh, we're getting to the end of our podcast here. Someone may have already mentioned it all, uh, already. Let me try that again. Someone may have mentioned it already, but I can't help but wondering how the use of Eleven's powers will affect her as time goes on. It's obvious each time she uses her powers, it takes a toll on her body. Whether it's a small feat like slamming the door on Hopper or making Troy pee his pants, or whether it's a Herculean effort like closing the gate in the shadow monsters on the shadow monster slash mind flayer. The bigger scale battles change her face, almost like aging her. I wonder if these larger battles will have permanent effects, like perhaps the more she uses it, the shorter her life will become. She's going to be 45 and the kids will be 17. (laughs) (laughs) Will we see an 11 in season three or four that has been weakened or aged or maybe uses too much of her powers and possibly does some irreparable damage? I already have a feeling that things for this series won't end well for her, which I hope doesn't happen as I really want the happy ending for her and Mike, even though that storyline may be too convenient for many people. They could actually get her to a point where she's so old in the show that Sigourney right. Weaver could play her. Oh, <laughs> that would be fun. Wouldn't that be awesome? Also, like, when people are saying happy ending for her and Mike, like, it's sweet that they get childhood re- romance, but that's not going to be a lasting thing. Show me a person that's been yeah. in, that, that, that's there like... very few. Yeah. Like, they can still be friends and all that, but, like, the idea that this is going to blossom into something that lasts throughout this, the, like, some kind of... Ron and Hermione kind of thing. Like I don't, I don't. That seems mm-hmm. very unrealistic to me. Yeah, and also it deals with the the show's theme of showing children learning how to deal with things in an adult manner and like breakups and stuff like that are things that you have to go through. I like yeah. that this show works on so many different levels. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know about Elle. Like that's the thing when she does these massive tasks, like closing the second gate. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That. If anything is going to change her, that would be it, and she doesn't seem to be affected by it at the snowball. So, right, what is there going to be some toll that it takes on her? I don't. It doesn't seem like it. No. Yeah. It seems like in the moment it's very very difficult for her, um, and maybe there's a task too big that she couldn't accomplish without trying so hard that she kills herself. But long term, it doesn't seem to have an effect. Right. In fact, it seems the beginning. She's and this thing is like, yeah. I mean, Callie's the 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 counterpart to that. It's the perfect one. So, like, not only does Jane begin be, looks like she's getting stronger as we notice it, but we also see Callie does big stuff all the time. Yeah, with no like that. We talked about that, right? Like, there's surely they're they're they are showing us it's damaging or straining, but it, is it a permanent one? Like a nosebleed right. is. That's that's the question. Yeah, and I think so far the answer has been no. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I could see, like, maybe a season where she she goes into a coma that they have to, like, find her spirit in the astral realm or some shit like that. That would be kind of interesting. Yeah. If if indeed they're – because, like, it could also just be that this is how they show her struggle. Like, this is the equivalent of Dragon Ball Z characters grunting at each other for five minutes while they're slowly building their energy auras. Right. And their power levels are going over 9,000. Uh, 
Sierra B says, um, I found this article on BuzzFeed. And yes, I know it's BuzzFeed, she says parenthetically, but it's actually really good. It's a hidden detail in the show. I clicked through this, and so they have this thing where they don't actually acknowledge, but they show in the uh, Hopper's flashback with his kid. They show her him playing with her on the playground when she has her first seizure, and she's got this orange or this purple headband. Yeah. And then later on, when he's in the hospital with her and she's lost her hair, he's wearing that on his wrist. Mm. And then later on, when he's talking on the phone, we see, like, in contemporary times, he's still wearing it on his wrist. And then when uh, Jane slash Eleven goes to the ball, the winter ball, she's wearing that as, like, a little bracelet. Like, that he's passed on his daughter's hairband to her. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I found it hard to tell if they were the same thing, but... I mean... not sure. It's a it's, it's cool a purple it it's a purple but... hand he- headband and like I think that yeah you're right it's like is it literally the same one that a child or is it just something he does like I do think or is it something connected. that filmmakers did to to connect those dots yeah um, that that isn't literally the same band I I don't know I mean it's kind of cool if it is but it's a super cool detail yeah uh, and I appreciate you sending in there Sierra uh, Ben D let's see oh so this is talking about the format that i want to talk about a little bit um which we seem to receive universal praise there's not a single person that said i wish we'd done it some other way or slower or faster or whatever Hmm. just a quick note to say i really was enjoying your stranger things binge format it's worked really well i'm behind so having to watch i can only watch one episode a night with my wife Hmm. but it's awesome to finish an episode and immediately be able to launch into the right podcast i felt like the duration of format works well too not sure if I can handle a full recap as easily, but the mini synopsis grounds the podcast well, which I was a huge innovation for us. Like, yeah. I'm not saying we came up with it or anything, but like, no, but when we did it, we recognized, oh, yeah, this is working. Yeah. And this was the always the tension. We'd be like, you know, it seems like some people like don't like the full recaps. They feel like they're a waste of time. But other people say like they ground them in episode. And then when they're when they're listening to them, because some people after they enjoy a season of coverage they go back and listen to our other shows and the ones that are like the half-ass format that's very hard if you don't go back and watch the episode which people don't have time to to like which episode are they talking about yeah and we've we stumbled upon this as a way to kind of like solve both of those problems and i think you'll see more like if we when we do our like you know like our more half-ass so we call them podcasts or just discussion only without recap like we did that for Fargo. We did it for the leftovers. I, I think, think we do that going forward. We will absolutely be doing this. I think we should call this the currently on. Like they do the previously ons. Uh huh. This is the currently on. Right. Right. It's it's just what happened this episode. Um, one thing you might consider though is putting a short bumper at the end of the beginning of the pod since listening to yeah. even five seconds of the next podcast is super <laughs> spoiler laden with the mini synopsis format. That's a super good idea. And it I, wasn't a problem for season one because right. season one we put the music first, I think. Right. Season two we didn't because we had other stuff to do first and yeah. Well, the other thing you. is like... I feel you. I'll do that next and time. And I forget because my podcast player doesn't do that or I don't have it set up to do that. Where like oh, when it ends yeah. a podcast, it stops. It does not automa- It doesn't have like a playlist that automatically plays. So like mm. it's helpful to get that feedback because I never in a million years would have thought that'd be a problem. Yeah. But obviously it is and we will take that into consideration. So... I mean, I don't know what else to say, except for this was a super successful season for Bald Move. It's a super successful season for the Duffer Brothers and Stranger Things. Um, I guess it's it's not season two. It's Stranger Things 2. <laughs> um, and next year will be Stranger Things 3. I guess so. Um, 
but it was Stranger exciting and it was H2O. fun and it was something that we spent a whole weekend which should have exhausted us but i felt energized by it because it was just so much fun to do it was it was a ton of fun and uh i really look forward now we've got like a 50 week wait <laughs> for next season because uh-huh. we did it to ourselves we did it to ourselves ladies and gentlemen um anything that you want to say for stranger things uh i don't think so i think that's about it it's it's easily one of my favorite shows of the year and we'll see where it places in the baldies but i think that good prospects i think that we'll be looking to i imagine what will happen is as stranger things three comes into focus we start getting trailers and it gets into the weeks leading up to the next season which probably will be in the fall it seems like uh, both thematically for the show and for its success um we'll have a preview podcast yeah uh, since we're already caught up, we won't do that anymore. Um, but we'll have a preview podcast, and we'll get people's feedback at StrangerThingsAtBaldMove.com. There'll be forum threads posted, and we'll probably do, I imagine, unless there's some kind of crazy thing happening that weekend uh, or some kind of weird health problem or some kind of unavoidable schedule, we'll do the exact same thing we did this time. Uh-huh. So, But that's that's another season. That's another Stranger season. Yeah. Awesome. All right, we're signing off for the year. Thanks for again coming along with the ride. Thanks for sending in all your feedback. Like I got like Game of Thrones sized feedback for this final episode, and I had to do a lot of brutal cuts. And I, I apologize. I think I got most of the thoughts because there was a lot of stuff people wanting the same, uh, wanting to, to talk about the same stuff. So, um, like I said, did the best I can. Thanks for coming along with us this season. Thanks for all of your support. Uh, thanks to Sonos once again for sponsoring the season. That was really cool. And uh, we will see you next year. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.